You are listening to The Investor Way with Sam Ball and Jonathan McEwen. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. Hello, welcome to The Investor Way with me, Sam Ball. It's the 20th of February, 2024, and I'm joined by my co-host, John McEwen. In this week's episode, we'll be discussing Dunelm, Segro, NatWest, Centrica, Money Supermarket, and our US company of the week is Coca-Cola. John, should I start us off with Dunelm, one of our favorite retailers? Absolutely, Sam. So Dunelm, the UK's leading homeware retailer, have come out with their interim results to 30 December 2023, and their sales are up 4.5% to 872.5 million. The digital proportion of total sales was up two percentage points to 36%. The gross margin was up 160 basis points to 52.7%. The operating cost to sales ratio was up 150 basis points to 38.1%. Profit before tax was up 4.8% to 123 million. And the diluted earnings per share were down 2.6% to 44.6p a share. Free cash flow was down 11 million to 91.1 million, and net cash was down 12 million to 6.2 million. The interim dividend per share was up 6.7%, 16p. They said that market share increased in both homewares and furniture markets with a combined gain of 50 basis points, so half a percent. Growth in active customers was 4.2%, along, along with increased transaction frequency. And they extended the total retail system with four new stores opened in the first half, taking the total to 183. They've said that they maintain tight operational grip on costs with inflationary impacts partly offset by efficiency gains. And in terms of the valuation, they are trading at a PE of 15 and a yield of 3.81%. If we look at the last five years, they have been, well, I'll say steadily in Increase in sales, but from 2019 to 2023, sales are up from 1.1 billion to 1.638 billion, with a lot of that coming on the back of COVID. But they have held on to it and they are continuing to increase market share. And operating profit is up from 126 to 198 million. So I think it is a good little operator. I think these are good results. I think at a P of 15 and a dividend yield of 3.81%, it's pretty decent value. I do like the business. I think it's well run. I do question whether they might you might get better bang for your buck, though, if you invested elsewhere. For example, with something like Next or ABF. But I do like Dunelm, and it's definitely one of the better retailers. John, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I thought they were pretty good results, and particularly considering the sort of tough economic climate that we, uh, with the sort of cost of living crisis in particular, that they've been able to manage sales growth of nearly five percent, and also as we've seen since COVID, increasing the proportion of sales um, to the digital and fifty-two percent margin. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's very good. What do you think of the valuation then? Yeah. I suppose that that is the difficulty because it's I, I don't I certainly don't think it's expensive, but the sort of companies that you're also looking at, and you mentioned a couple of them there, are really good really good uh, companies. They are bigger players than Dunelm, 
So I don't know. I think you'd have a difficult, difficult decision there if you were just picking one of them, really. I think I'd probably sort of put it up there with like pets at home in terms of quality of the business performance, valuation. But it's the same issue. I just think in terms of opportunity cost, I would rather have Next. And usually mm. Next is at a very similar valuation, if not slightly cheaper, and usually yeah. gets better results. Yeah, and, and, and that yeah is the difficulty. But yeah, certainly above your, your Kingfishers. Yeah, and a very, very good operator. The results themselves, I don't think you can really knock too much. It's just there's a lot of good retailers available at similar valuations. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Shall we move on to former member of our fantasy portfolio? Yeah, so it's been a long time since we've covered Segro. It's one of the UK's largest real estate investment trusts, and it specialises in modern warehouse and industrial properties. It's listed on the FTSE 100, and they had their full year results out with favourable occupier markets, along with the customer focus and proactive management of the portfolio, supported new headline rent commitments of £88 million during the period, including a £27 million of new pre-let agreements and a 31% average uplift on rent renews and renewals. There was a 12.5% increase in net rental income to £587 million compared with £522 in the prior year, driven by development and completions and strong like-for-like rental growth of 6.5%. Adjusted pre-tax profit came in at £409 million, which was up 6% compared with the prior year, and adjusted earnings per share increased by 5.5% to 32.7 pence. Adjusted NAV per share was down 6.1% to 907 pence, compared with 966 pence in the prior year, reflecting a 4% like-for-like portfolio valuation decline. And that was on the back of an 11% portfolio valuation decline in 2022 as a result of interest rate-driven yield expansion. This was partly offset by rental value growth of 6%, asset management initiatives and development profits. Capital investment came in at £931 million in development and land purchases, less than £356 million of disposal completed during the year, significantly ahead of book value. And for reference, it was down from £1.3 billion in a prior year. And there was £50 million of potential new headline rent from over 600,000 square metres of development completions, delivered at a yield on cost, excluding forward-funded schemes, of 7%. And 87% of this has already been let to customers from a diverse range of sectors. Continued momentum in the development pipeline with over 600,000 square metres of projects under construction, or in advanced negotiations, equating to £71 million of potential rent, 73% of which has been or is expected to be pre-let. Expected yield on cost for these projects is in the region of 7.4%. And there was €103 million Euro or £89 million performance fee received from the CELP joint venture, which was a 50-50 venture with Segro and a Canadian pension fund, which comprised a 1 billion euro investment in standing logistic investments and development land in continental Europe, 
and based on its 10-year initial rate of return of 12.7%, which has significantly outperformed its hurdle rate, resulting in a 51 million euro or 44 million pound net benefit before tax to Segro, which is not included in the adjusted profit. The group has a strong balance sheet with access to £1.9 billion of available liquidity and a modest level of gearing reflected in a loan-to-value of 34% at 31st of December 2023, compared to 32% a year earlier. The average cost of debt on the th- as of the 31st of December 23 was 3.1% and interest cover of three times. And the 2023 full year dividend increase of 5.7% to 27.8 pence, up from 26.3. Final dividend increase by 4.9% to 19.1 pence. In terms of valuation, Segro has a market cap of 10.5 billion and trades to around 26 times earnings with a yield in the region of 3%. I thought these results were encouraging and Segro is a stock that certainly rocketed in back in 2020-2021 with COVID and the hype around e-commerce. It certainly had some problems in the last couple of years since then, and it's taken some big write-downs with a £601 million valuation hit last year and £1.9 billion in 2022. But it's optimistic about revaluation of the property with falling interest rates. Well, interest rates that are expected to fall and it's currently trading at £8.61 a share with the company reporting net asset value per share of £9.07 and the group is expecting to increase its rents by 50% over the next three years with the demand for logistics hubs growing. I don't think it is one for me right now. And I think there are lots of sort of ifs and buts in some of these figures. But I do like that it's on the back of a growth trend. It's certainly one of the big players. I think there are probably other companies that I would go to before investing in this. So it's probably more of a case of opportunity costs in many ways, which would stop me from digging further into it. I certainly liked what it was doing a few years ago, but as we've seen, it's just been a little bit more uncertain and interest rates have thrown things a little bit for the group. Sam, what are your thoughts on these full year results and Segro as a company? I think it must be the only former member of the InvestAway fantasy portfolio where we actually sold at the right time. That's certainly true. I don't think it's terrible. It doesn't really interest me. It's not something I'd probably go for. I think they, like I say, I do think it's got some long-term tailwinds. I think as well, they've been pretty smart with the debt. I think to have, you know, in the current environment, I appreciate it's only been a couple of years, but with interest rates creeping up and stuff, to have a cost of debt on 6.2 billion of net debt, a 3% and a 7.2 year average debt maturity I think they've been pretty smart operators. They've obviously taken out a lot of debt when it was cheap and they're not really added to it when it's become more expensive or not added significantly. So I think it looks like they're, in terms of operations, pretty smart. But yeah, it just doesn't doesn't really interest me. But yeah, it is nice that we actually made one so, good sale on the fantasy so did we Did we sell at the end of 21? I think we must have done because it was... 
the first year. It yeah. came out after one year, didn't it? Because it had a crack yeah. in here. It went up about 50%. Just so we yeah. got rid of it. In a bull market. Anyway, because I think it literally, from looking at the chart, I think it peaked on the 27th of December, 21, at around £14 a share. <laughs> that have been about when we sold it. Wait, yeah. I'll check. So we sold, I think, on the 21st of December, 2021. Wow, pretty close. A few days off the top, but I mean, I say a few days off the top. We we only look at it once a year, so there wasn't much deliberate timing on our part. But still, nice to take the rare wins. Right, shall we move on to NatWest? Absolutely. So, what? Well, what was one of the world's biggest banks? Yes, that was back with. uh, Was it Nat? Was it RBS that had Fred the Shred? It, it was indeed. Oh, and yeah. interestingly, it also had World Pay, which was spun off amongst the crash. But I read somewhere that World Pay does have was worth more than the whole of NatWest. Oh, right. I think it was sort of sold off for pennies oh, back dear. in the day. Oh dear. Right. Well, anyway, they have come out with their Q4 results and they reported an 8.6% drop in underlying income over the fourth quarter to 3.4 billion, which was in line with expectations. Net interest income was down, offset by a gain from the smaller non-interest income lines, such as fees. Operating profit fell 11.9% to 1.3 billion. Net interest margin fell quarter on quarter to 2.86%, slightly higher than expected. No guidance was provided for 2024. Retail customer deposits increased 3.4 billion quarter over quarter as a dip in current account levels across the client base was more than offset in a rise in longer term savings balances. The pace of shift from current to term accounts slowed over the quarter. Arrears remained broadly stable and in line with pre-pandemic levels. An impairment charge of 126 million was taken over the quarter in expectation for future defaults. The CET1 ratio, a key measure of financial resilience, was 13.4%, within the range of 13 to 14%. Paul Thwaite was confirmed as permanent CEO, and the group announced a final dividend of 11.5p, as well as an on-market buyback of up to $300 million over 2024. Shares rose 2.9% in early trading. In terms of valuation, the business trades at a forward price to book, of 0.52 and that compares to a 10-year average of 0.62 and the PE ratio is currently at 4.57 however it is a very very cyclical business which is why it's so cheap the prospective yield over the next 12 months is 7.3 percent and that compares to a 10-year average of 4.1 percent I think these results are pretty decent I know we're starting to see a bit of a dip but obviously I think interest rates are probably possibly have peaked it looks like inflation is now under control so i would expect them to start coming back down again whether we get them to back at the silly levels of 2020 and 2021 i don't know but it is just a business that's fortunes will rise and fall with the interest rate but i suppose it'd be a bit disappointing for shareholders because you've waited years and years and years for them to go up and then after a couple of years are now starting to go back down again you <laughs> probably from a nat west point of view you would have hoped for a slightly longer period but we don't know what's going to happen we're not out there Probably uh, might be uh, speaking a bit too soon anyway, because we're not very good at macro forecasts. Um, <laughs> arguably not that good at micro forecasts. <laughs> so, yeah, I thought these were decent enough results. There's not really any surprises, but not a business for me. Probably too complicated and too cyclical. What about you, John? 
Well, it is a business that I own. It's from what I sort of consider a legacy portfolio. And I have done quite well on it, but it's probably just reflected of when I picked it up in the cycle. And I'm certainly enjoying the dividends on it. And it is churning out an awful lot of cash. I appreciate, you know, incredibly cyclical. And I think one thing to be said for it is that compared with a few years ago, we are certainly are expecting interest rates to settle at a you know considerably higher level than they were before, which you would expect to borrow, you know, to help NatWest continue to be as profitable as it has been. Perhaps not quite as, but you know, much much more so than it had been for the sort of 15 years after 2008. I appreciate the market is you know competitive, but I think potentially at the current values, it's good. I wondered what you thought of the government planning to sell off their potentially, what is it, about 34%? Yeah, about 33 or something like that, I saw. But just offloading that all in the summer, potentially. I I don't know how that would affect the share price. I suppose it's at this point they just want a shot of it, especially Mm. if it is a fairly, I mean, it's it's not an amazing value. It doesn't really move either, as it's about, it's actually below where it was 10 years ago. I don't know. I don't really have a strong opinion on it, except that if you dump 30% of the shares on the market in one go. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm sure it's not going to be exactly like that, but I think that they, they're going to have sort of a, a campaign like in the 80s when sort of privatising some of the British industry. I think it's going to be similar to that. Mm. I don't know what good a campaign does, though, because you can literally go out and buy it on the market today <laughs> if you want it. So. Well, it's getting Sid investing again. Yeah, I don't really have a strong opinion on it. My main concern would be, I know you've talked about interest rates maybe stabilising at a higher level, but as of whatever it was earlier this week or last week, we are now officially in recession. Yeah. So is there a chance they just get slashed? Well, yeah. Because I think we have a bit of a systemic problem that we have created an economy that's basically a baby version of what's going on in the US, but we are completely and totally dependent on cheap money for the economy to function, really. And if you take that away for too long, everything just seems to fall apart now. I think it's a bit like a morphine addict, is my opinion. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. I, but I do wonder if they might be coming down further, even if in the long term it's not that good, just because I think there's so many businesses that just can't function on high interest rates. And I think the same for a lot of homeowners. Yeah, no, absolutely. Should we move on to, well, one of your former stocks? Yeah. So Centrica, which is the owner of British Gas, they had their full-year results out last week with full-year revenue slipping by 1% to £33.4 billion, with lower revenue from trading broadly offset by improvements across most other segments. Underlying operating profit fell from £3.3 billion to £2.8 billion, with improved profitability at British Gas more than offset by declines in its trading and infrastructure divisions, largely as a result of lower energy prices and volatility. Free cash flow fell from £2.5 billion to £2.2 billion, and underlying net cash more than doubled to £2.8 billion. By 2026, Centrica expects to deliver sustainable annual underlying operating profits of around £800 million. The trading division is expected to contribute the most to this total, with profits set to be in the £250 to £350 million range. 
The group announced a dividend of 2.69 pence per share, taking the full year total to 4 pence, which is up by a third. And there's also going to be £613 million worth of share buybacks to be completed in the period. The shares were up around 5.5% following the results. In terms of valuation, Centric currently has a market cap of £7 billion and trades at 2.97, just under three times forward earnings. I thought these results were pretty good. Obviously not as good as last year on the back of the Ukraine invasion, but completely different to the one that we started covering in 2020, which was languishing in debt. That being said, I think the valuation reflects both political uncertainty and the cyclicality of the company. And it's worth saying that the company expects the profits from the British Gas Energy Division to moderate at around 150 to 250 million pounds yearly, as would the Centric Energy Division, which was the group's trading arms, which have nearly halved since 2022. And then I think there's also the question of the green energy transition, which is expected to cost between 600 and 800 million pounds that the group have set aside for investment by 2028. Also, on the more negative side, customers in the British Gas Services division fell by 8% as customers began to switch again, but the division did turn a slight profit. All that being said, there's an underlying net cash position of £3.8 billion and a growing dividend of 3.5% with the extended share buyback. So it's, in that sense, pretty healthy. I sold my shares, I checked earlier today, at about £1.44. That was last year. And it was really, as you saw, the politicisation of the energy industry even further. I mean, I appreciate it started a few years ago and there was Theresa May and energy price caps. Or was that even 20, I think 26, it might be 2017 when they came in, I think. But it, it got to new levels, I think, uh, with the windfall taxes. And for those reasons, I felt it was time to sell. And it's also the reason I, I, I wouldn't look at it as it again, really, because I think where both political parties have shifted against the industry and you just don't feel you have any control, I think it it's, uh, makes it uh, uninvestable in that sense. Sam, what are your thoughts on these results, Centrica now as a company, and I suppose the perilous political position that companies like Centrica find themselves in? Pretty similar. I would describe it as uninvestable. I don't think it's an industry I would have ever been interested in any, in any way. But if they did have too well a six months or a year, they're going to get stung with some kind of excess profits tax. Even though if they have a terrible six months or a year, as we have seen, no one comes in to give them extra losses or anything for tax or anything like that. So it's it's just very one-sided. I'm not Obviously, I'm not talking about the political implications, but from an investment point of view, it does just make it less attractive. That's just a fact. And then on top of that, it's I know they're turning it around now, but historically, it's been a poor performing business. It's been bleeding customers. The only reason it isn't now is because there's not really any benefit to switching anymore. <laughs> but that will come back. And I, I don't know if the underlying problems have been solved. I don't think it really matters because... Yeah. It's just such a tough industry, not one that I'd ever be interested in anyway. But these these results were fairly decent. But yeah, uninvestable for me. 
Yeah, it, it's, it's interesting because there was an interview, I think it was with the former boss of Centrica, or was it two bosses ago? I'm not, I'm not 100% on that. But he was debating what the price cap would mean for the industry and whether it would have be sort of slightly perverse and actually benefit the big six or the big four. And I think actually you did see that when a lot of these sort of startup energy companies were going bust and then Centrica was essentially being a supplier of last resort and taking market share back in, in that sense. And then you've actually now then with the price cap increase, seen it really benefit from those and then these these big big figures coming through. However, it hasn't stopped more regulation and still uninvestable. But it, it was quite interesting that analysis a few years earlier has sort of in some ways come true. Should we move on from one of your former stocks to one of mine? So money supermarket, when did you sell, Sam? It was a couple of years ago now. Oh, wow, um, okay. I've got this really sort of sick feeling in my stomach that if oh. I looked, I would have sold it to buy Boohoo. There's a very ah! good chance that, yeah. But uh, when, have... when you say a couple of years ago, we're we talking 2022. I think, I think it was. I think I sold. I think it was at the end of a. It was either at the end of a tax year or the beginning of one. Um, okay. I, I'd have to go and have a look, but I don't want to know. <laughs> so... Okay. I'm, I'm having a look, and it, yeah, you, you don't want to look. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem with buying when you're. I know. When you when you sell to buy something else instead, you get this double hit. <laughs> got a massive <laughs> loss on the boo hair, and then I also would have done quite well on that. So. But, you know, I could, I, I could have done something else. I just don't want to check because I think it's probably, <laughs> it was about that time. I think we bought Boohoo, so I'd rather live in ignorance. But, yeah, they have come out with their full year results. Revenue was up 11% to 432.1 million. EBITDA was up 14% to 131.9 million. Profit after tax was up 4%, 72.3 million. Adjusted basic earnings per share was up 12%, 16p. And basic earnings per share was up 6%, 13.5p. Operating cash flow was down 2% to 102.2 million. Net debt was down 49% to 19.8 million. Not that's really worth worrying about with whose level of profits. It's less than a third of profits, I think. Dividend per share was up 3% to 12.1p a share. They helped households save an estimated estimated 2.7 billion for the year. They expanded their offering with membership-based customer propositions, including MSM Super Save Club, MSE App, and Quidco. They so I didn't realize Quidco was money supermarket. I know we've covered it before, but I've actually got a Quidco account now. Have you used it, John? No, I can say, is it any good? It's all right. I mean, so I'm not really that bothered about it, but Millie's dad's like really into like any kind of cashback things. We like scour the internet for deals and stuff. Okay. So I bought a new laptop a few months ago and he'd found Quidco on it and I'd get like, it wasn't loads, but I got like a something like maybe like three or 4% back if I'd yeah, bought it right. through yeah, Quidco. Yeah. yeah. So I've got, I mean, it's only worked out at like something like 20 quid I've got back or something. But then it's like, it's sat in my Quidco account and I can't, I bought the laptop in December and I can't actually withdraw the cash until <laughs> July. <laughs> and, I, and, and unless it's for like big purchases, there's not, you know, I, I wouldn't use it to do the shopping or anything because I'm not that bothered. If I was buying like a TV or something, I'd probably look again because you may as well get the cash back because you still buy it from yeah. the normal platform. You just do it inside the Quidco app. So yeah. it's all right, but I've got to remember until July to get, 
wait until July to get my 20 quid back or whatever it is. But it's, it's 20 quid for doing absolutely nothing extra. So it's it's not terrible. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. record revenue, they said, was despite no material revenue from energy switching, which used to be a big part of the business. However, that might be coming back soon. They've had 11% revenue growth. And they said that was led by exceptional trading and insurance, supported by efficient acquisition and, and retain and grow strategy. And if we break the results down by segment for the year, insurance was up 28% to 220 million. And that's out, this is out of a total of 432. Money was down 3% to 100.2 million. Home services was down 2% to 39 million. Travel was up 33% to 20.6 million. And cashback was basically flat at 59.8 million. And then there were also 7.5 million of intervertical eliminations. They said the exceptionally high premium inflation continued in insurance, which is driving high search traffic in the quarter and fueling high levels of switching in car and home towards the end of the year. The ramp up in car premiums inflation has started to stabilize. Money grew 4% in the quarter with continued growth in banking due to the availability of attractive products. Borrowing also grew compared to Q4 2022, which saw a steep drop in conversion following the October 2022 mini budget. Home services were down 6% with continued broadband softness in a competitive market. Mobile also softened in the quarter with less attractive provider propositions. As expected, there was no material revenue from energy switching. Revenue from travel was up 9% with growth in the fourth quarter slowing in a competitive market. Note that travel insurance is included within insurance, not travel. Cashback revenue was up 1% despite continued headwinds from online retail. We had a strong performance over the Black Friday weekend with attractive promotions secured with merchants. In terms of the valuation, business trades at P of 15.41 and has a yield of 5.01%. I thought these were a very good set of results. I know they've acquired some of that revenue that was missing, but it's a very nicely diversified business. They're at record revenues despite the the energy business just being non-existent. And at some point that, that will come back. It might be couple of years away but at some point it will and that's that's just sort of sat there in the background ready to go anyway but in the meantime they're, they're putting up basically the same results they used to be when they had the energy business so i think it's a really really good set of results and it just shows how although they're in a sort of their own little niche they're very very well diversified within it so yeah actually the operating profits are not quite as good as they used to be five years ago earnings per share five years ago it was higher but it's better than any of the other last five years it's still a very, very nicely profitable business. Very, very good margins. And like I say, that's despite having you know a decent chunk of the business just not doing anything at the minute, but ready to go for the future. I, I think it's a business I probably shouldn't have sold. Unfortunately, I sold it for a business I probably shouldn't have bought. It's a business that I still like and I, I wouldn't be against buying it back in the future, even if it is at a higher price, because I just think it's a, it's a very resilient business, very well ran, just churns out cash. Really, really a nice business with a decent yield as well, not too ridiculously valued. John, what are your thoughts on the results and the valuation? Yeah, no, I'd largely uh, echo what you've said. And I think it's a, I think it's a fair valuation, actually. And as we're seeing, you know, in British gas, I think switching is coming back and you'd expect it more over the next few years. So, yeah, I think if that sector comes back on, then fantastic, really, for money supermarket. Mm. And you've seen it with sort of car insurance and things over the last year. I think if it does come back on, though, you could argue it's actually quite cheap. I know it could yeah, go off yeah, again in could. the future, so that's probably would be baked in. But a lot of but that extra mm-hmm. revenue would just go straight into profits, really. 
I mean, you might argue that the last few years have been sort of exceptional with the first proper government intervention in decades. So, yeah, it doesn't look like the intervention has worked very well. So the fact that it may well, you know, come back on in a in a much bigger way again. Right. Should we uh, move on to another favourite of the show? Yes. So Coca-Cola, Daddy Coke, listed over in the States, had their Q4 results out with Coca-Cola's revenue growing by 12% on an organic basis, reaching $10.8 billion in the fourth quarter. Growth was driven by a 9% rise in prices and a 3% increase in volumes. Underlying operating profit jumped 20% to $2.3 billion, ignoring double-digit exchange rate impacts. The uplift was largely a result of top-line growth and improved margins, which was partially offset by increased marketing spend. Free cash flow improved by $213 million to $9.7 billion for the full year. Net debt fell from $26.2 billion to $25.1 And in 2024, the group expects full-year organic revenue growth of between 6 and 7%, with underlying earnings per share expected to grow between 8 and 10%, ignoring the impact of exchange rates. And the shares were broadly flat in early trading. In terms of valuation, the group has a market cap of $255 billion and trades at 21 times forward earnings. As always, I think we say it's an expensive stock, but these numbers are pretty fantastic for the type of company that it that it is. And we saw that, you know, comparing the Q4 Kraft Heinz results, they've increased prices here by 9% and they've had 3% increase in volumes. I don't think there are many businesses that can, that can do that. For that reason, it is very expensive. It's got one of the strongest brands in the world, if not the strongest, and other brands in the portfolio. And we know that the, the model it operates in other markets. So it's obviously highly profitable from that point of view. And it's probably one of the best companies that exists. I would agree. I think it's an excellent set of results. And like you say, when you look at a lot of the consumer goods companies we covered last week, not directly comparable, but it does just show how well they're doing that they are able to increase prices so much and have volumes increase. I I think it's not cheap, but you are getting one of the best brands in the world and you have to pay a premium for that. And at a forward P of 21, it's probably the cheapest we've seen it. And with a yield over 3%, it's it's not terrible. If you compare that to, you know, say something like Nestle, it probably is now cheaper, which, you know, we've seen it, we've covered it at 30 times earnings. So it's getting a little bit more reasonable devaluation, but you, you do just have to pay up for a business of that quality, unfortunately, because I would love to get it on the cheap. <laughs> <laughs> would you ever consider shares? Or is it, is it really just coming down to if it was significantly cheaper? It, it would have to be so like because I just think the growth's really going to be in line with inflation. I think the business model's very good because they just sort of, sell the licenses to other bottlers like for example Coca-Cola, yeah. uh, Hellenic or the I can't remember the name FEMSA the Latin American one or the, yeah. you know the Asia Pacific one and that works very very well but there must be very few places left on earth where you can go now outside of Russia and not be able to pick up a Coca-Cola 
So I think maybe you'll get a slight increase, but I don't think it's got loads. I don't think it has loads of pricing power in that, although it's a great brand, if Pepsi's 50p and Coke want £1.50, for example, it's just not going to happen. So it's it's sort of constrained by the markets it's in, although it does have some pricing power as long as it's not abused too much due to the quality of the brand. But I think it's pretty saturated. So for me, I'd probably want it at something like 10 times earnings, which I know for a business <laughs> like Coke, I'm just not, outside of like an absolute like financial meltdown, I'm just not, maybe in 08 you could have got that, but you're just not going to get the chance. Or you'd have to be very, very patient. But yeah, the kind of values I'd want for a business that's not really going to grow much above inflation, I just don't think I'm going to get anytime soon. What about you? Yeah, it would be for similar reasons that that, that, that would be the issue. But we say this and you, you do look at the charts and it does just continue to shock and surprise, really. Well, yeah, you probably could have made the same argument that it was saturated 30 or 40 years ago. Well, I, I think, yeah, exactly. But at some point yeah. you have to be right. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Of the companies this week then, Sam? Top pick would probably be Money Supermarket. Bottom, probably be Centrica. I mean, it's the only one that is uninvestable. I guess maybe NatWest would be in that category for me, but Centrica's just got a whole other load of issues, I think, just because of the industry it's in. So it's quite probably quite an easy choice for me this week. What about you? Yes, I think I would go with that too. So Centrica would be last and be between Money Supermarket and Coke, but with my own money, I would probably go for Money Supermarket. I think if you've got your former business ranked last and I've got mine ranked first, that probably says which of us made the better decision to sell. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Okay, well, thank you again for listening and we'll see you again next week. See you next week. Thank you for listening to The Investor Way. To get in touch, please follow us on Twitter at TIW Tweets. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. Neither Sam nor Jonathan are financial advisors. For investment advice, please consult professional advisors.